speaker today is Paul Vandervliet, Associate Pastor of Discipleship of New Hope Community Church. Hello everyone, this is Paul Vandervliet. I want to thank you all for listening, taking the time to uh, listen to this sermon. This uh, is a rather interesting sermon, uh, given the times that uh, we live in. Uh, this past uh, day or so, our church uh, has been closed because of the coronavirus. And my topic actually happens to be coming out of First John uh, chapter 1. And it happens to be on fellowship. And I found that rather ironic. Uh, this was supposed to be uh, recorded before uh, our church membership. But as it turns out, uh, that wasn't to be the case. However, the, uh, the irony of this uh, is, I think, quite evident, or it is to me, that when we talk about fellowship, we tend to think, and we should, of people together, uh, groups, small, large, medium, it really doesn't matter. What really matters is what fellowship uh, is. I want to read uh, from First John uh, chapter 1, it's uh, 10 verses, and I'd like you to follow along with me, First John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and it reads this way. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld, and our hands handled, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, proclaiming to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. This is verse 3, and it says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship. The word is koinonia. That you might have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship, that word again, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from Him, meaning Jesus, and announced to you that God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And here is such an important verse, verse 9. If we confess our sins, plural, he is faithful and righteous, or faithful and just, as some translations have it, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's the text, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And it is so important uh, for me to stress what's been on my heart for many years uh, when I was pastoring a church uh, elsewhere. It was so important, uh, this idea of fellowship. Uh, years and years ago, my wife and I worked uh, at a church. Uh, I was employed there. My wife did not work there, but we ministered in our youth group. And the youth group was called Koinonia, and that was the name of the group. And what what Koinonia is, it is um, about a commonness. There's a commonality. Um, there's a practical unity in uh, this koinonia. It is fellowship, it is communion, it is uh, that idea of oneness. And it is very important uh, in these days, I don't know what lies ahead with uh, this coronavirus, none of us really does except God, but I think it's very important for us to understand that uh, if we can no longer meet as a body of believers for larger meetings, I wonder if perhaps God is bringing us back to a time when the church met in people's homes. Home fellowships, although uh, they seem to have been a recent 20 or 30 years or so, this idea of believers gathering together during the week for home fellowships, it actually started in that first century after Christ. Uh, in the book of Acts we see it. This idea of where uh, believers held uh, everything in common. It didn't mean that they had the same job. It didn't mean that they had the same likes or dislikes or any of that. What it was, was about what they believed. And that's what John starts off with. This John that, uh, that uh, wrote this is the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. This John uh, is the Apostle. John the Apostle. At this writing, he is probably near 90 years old. He is at this time the last of the living Apostles, the last of the eyewitnesses uh, as far as the Apostles are concerned. Peter's been uh, crucified. Paul has been beheaded, and um, he's got a lot of a lot of knowledge, built up knowledge over years and years. And he started probably in his early teens, following Christ. And he was uh, with that inner circle uh, of Peter, James, and John. He saw Jesus walk on the water. Uh, he saw Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water as well. But he was there as a teenager. Uh, when uh, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, he said, Talitha kum, arise, little one. John was there. John was there at the transfiguration. At Gethsemane, John was with Jesus further in that uh, dark period. He went physically further with Jesus than any of the other disciples. 
this man uh, is now looking back at this church that has been started, and I think he's concerned, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Um, there have been factors uh, trying to destroy the church ever since it started, even before it started. Uh, Satan uh, tried to have, uh, you know, Jesus killed uh, as a baby and uh, many other instances. But here, he couldn't do that. Satan couldn't do that. But he keeps using people. And at this time uh, of John's writing, there's a group called Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics, and uh, they had some really wild beliefs, but it's heresy, it's heresy. Uh, Jesus was only Jesus from the time of his baptism to the time of his crucifixion. Uh, just some very strange things, but uh, he's fighting this false teaching, and False teaching, no matter what situation, institution or group, anything that false that shows up, anything that's not true, tends to undermine and sometimes utterly destroy. And I think John's concerned. I believe he has a right to be. But I think if you uh, continue to, to stay with me, I want you to think about uh, something really cool. Uh, although I'm only going to focus on chapter 1, I want to read these couple of things uh, from the rest of the, the, the book of First John. In chapter 1, verse 4, it says about complete joy. I want your joy to be complete. We have a theme there about complete joy. What would keep it from happening? What would uh, make it likely, make it possible for complete joy? In uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Sin not. Uh, we know that obviously we all sin. Uh, even the Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners. The things he didn't want to do, he did. Uh, we get that. Uh, and I think it's very important that we explain that to those who do not know that when the Scripture says don't sin, it's not a condemnation of ourselves. But what it means is not to live in habitual sin. That sin that so easily besets us, Paul said, put it aside, kill it, mortify in your flesh. But he said, you know, this is a theme about not sinning. Sinning destroys what it's in contact with. It starts with the person and then it moves outward to who that people, uh, that person is touching and, and, and uh, interacting with. Um, it's very much as if it were the coronavirus. Um, it's silent, you don't see it, and it doesn't show up for a while. But eventually the symptoms come out. And I think here John is saying in, in chapter 2, verse 1, about sin not. It's about life change. It's about practical righteousness and practicing righteous living. Uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 26, again, back to this idea of the Gnostics, it's about false doctrine and false teachers, a theme, uh, an important piece of, of, uh, of just John's psyche is so impressed by the, the youngness of this church. 
It's not that old. And yet it's being uh, bombarded and attacked by all these things, false doctrine and teachers. Uh, some of that false doctrine and teaching was uh, in chapter uh, 5, verse 13, where uh, he writes about security and assurance. These things have I written that you might know. Um, but I, I just uh, I want to go back um, to chapter 1, but I wanted... To give a flavor, this old man has watched the church start. He was there at Pentecost, and now he's in his 90s. And he's seen this young church go through some very turbulent times. I believe from what Scripture says that you and I will be facing turbulent times uh, as the time draws near for Christ's return. We will see these turbulent times and I believe that they're going to, to increase. The reason uh, I chose this passage, um, I actually started doing this as a Bible study uh, with a group of guys that I meet with. And I've always been uh, convinced that there's strength in numbers. If you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, when two walk together and one stumbles, the other one is there. Same, same book, book of Ecclesiastes, says that uh, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Um, it's just very uh, evident to me, and I hope it is to you, the importance of koinonia, mentioned several times here, just in First John chapter 1. It's mentioned several times, and it's, it's, it's the importance of that aspect of unity. When we can no longer meet, whether it's because of a virus, or persecution, or who knows what, I feel very strongly that we as believers need to have a network. A network that is stronger than the internet. Um, although that's a tool that we can use to our benefit. Obviously, um, recording this, it's going to be sent to someone who's going to send it to someone else, and they're going to record it, and, and, and uh, I don't know all the details of that. But there's this connection. That body-life thing that uh, is so important is it's really about the gospel, the gospel, when Jesus came, he didn't come because he had to. He came because we needed him to, and we didn't even know it. God the Father created, I mean, all the unit, the triune God was involved in creation. But when we talk about God creating, we have to understand God didn't create just for the heck of it. He created man and woman for fellowship with Him. All fellowship stems from Him. And when we talk about believers having unity, this koinonia, um, I want us to understand some basic terms. Maybe that will help us to really wrap our hands around how important this unity is. We are unified uh, Every believer alive at the time of my recording this is, in fact, we are one. 
every believer and I are one. That's, that's uh, positional unity. Our position is in Christ. Scripture talks about our position in Christ makes us one. Our adoption through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that by grace you have been saved through faith. Um, it says now we have an advocate, but we can approach that throne of grace and say, Abba, Father, Father, we're adopted. We have this unity. We are one in the body uh, on a positional level. Scripture declares that. Um, but that's not my point. That's positional unity. But I want to talk about practical unity. This, uh, this idea of fellowship. Yes, we're one in Christ. But are we one one to another? Some churches, they have three, four, five, six services during a week. Just because a person is there doesn't mean that they are unified with the others. It might. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what I'm saying is, is that practical unity, uh, on the pragmatic level, that level of actual uh, serving one another, uh, that idea of sharing with one another, uh, the breaking of bread, the opening of the Word of God together, not just on Sunday. If you go to the book of Acts, those early chapters talk about the formation of the church and how important it was. Um, it's mentioned a couple of times that they, uh, they broke bread together. I love that breaking bread, uh, not just because I like to eat, but that idea of, of fellowship, sitting down and, and uh, enjoying the company of one or two or ten others, uh, sharing uh, joys and sorrows, uh, reciting scriptures, uh, going over things uh, of, of spiritual importance, of eternal, lasting importance. That's what we're really all about in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, he starts off, John starts off, what was from the beginning? The beginning of what? It's the beginning of the church. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands, handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. We've seen and bear witness and proclaim to you, you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. See, Jesus is that bridge of unity. Without our faith as a gift, Ephesians 2, by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift. But without that, we have no fellowship. None whatsoever. But here, what John is saying is that in verse 3, what we have seen, we, those original uh, walkers with Christ, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. You see, they were the first group that was brought in. Those disciples, apart from Judas Iscariot, who made a choice. But these other guys, they were made one in Christ. 
Just as Christ is one with the Father, Scripture says we've been made one with Christ. Jesus brought us into fellowship with Himself. And the unity that Jesus has with the Father, by implication, we have it as well. But that's what John is talking about. What we've seen, what we've heard and proclaimed, that you may have fellowship with us. Fellowship. Genesis. In the creation account, it wasn't good for man to be alone. So what did God do? He created woman. Why? They needed fellowship. They needed fellowship. Continuing in verse 3, and it says, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That unity is... It's mystical, magical, but it's also very plain. If you read the Gospel accounts where Jesus... Uh, would pray or when Jesus would teach and he talked about this unity Jesus said that he didn't come to do his own thing he said he came to do the will of the one who sent him there was such communion between father and son there was in part of that communion that koinonia fellowship there was such a love there that Jesus wanted to do for his father, that which was right, that which was pleasing. At the time of our salvation, when we truly accept Christ, when we become his disciple, his follower, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. But at the time of that action, between God and us. It says we also, in Scripture it says, that we receive at least one spiritual gift. It's not some crazy talent that you have to play guitar or draw or sing or any of that. It's beyond that. And that gifting, Scripture says, I believe in 1 Corinthians, that that gifting is not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of other believers. The benefit of others. Jesus said He came to serve, not be served. And we need to have that same uh, mentality, that same sense of focus. Why? Because it does bring joy. In Scripture it says that when an unbeliever comes to faith, surrenders their life to Christ, they admit they're a sinner in need of a Savior, at that moment, when they extend hands figuratively upward, that at that time there's rejoicing in heaven. Can you imagine, maybe you're a believer listening to this, just think back about that real birthday that you had, and there was a celebration in heaven. You didn't hear it, you didn't see it, but God told us about it, why? Well, in verse 4, and these things I write so that our joy may be made complete. Our joy. And as this goes on from this first century to the 21st century, you ever been to a birthday party of a, a son or daughter, uh, a grandson or a granddaughter? Man, I'll tell you what, when there's life, there is rejoicing. And when there's new life, 
a life that's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no greater joy. Uh, in the Old Testament, one of the uh, the books, I forget, one of the prophets, he says, that basically there is no greater joy than to know my children walk with the Lord. I love that. That's that's my God making a way for me to be part of of this this eternal family, this fellowship, this koinonia. But it's not just the position. You're not just bought by Jesus' blood to become a member. You're brought in as a member to become a service giver, to become a fellowship partaker. We need to be able to uh, exercise our gifts one to another. We're not meeting on Sunday. But it doesn't mean we can't still serve one another it doesn't mean that we can't fellowship. Maybe it's through Skype or uh, a text, a phone call, or maybe a, you know a group uh, uh, kind of a, a contact thing. Whatever it is, it is in God's heart. It's not good for man to be alone. Don't forsake the gathering together as is the habit of some. God's clear. He wants us to be in fellowship. And there is no more important testimony to a world that doesn't believe than how we treat each other, uh, how we fuss over one another. Um, my father used to call it clucking, clucking like a little chick, you know, the, the, the mama hen would be clucking over it, uh, taking care of it, and watching after it, making sure it's safe. We need to do that with each other, especially as the time draws near when the return of Christ could be at any time. We need to be doing the will of God, the work of God, the way of God, so that we can get the applause of God, the well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. It's here, it's in Scripture, it's necessary, but it's also a blessing. As a therapist, I've, I've maybe just got that, that kind of a heartbeat. I love to help people. Uh, whether it's you know professionally as a, as a counselor, uh, or just holding a door for somebody, or helping a guy at Lowe's or Home Depot to put sheetrock in the in the back of their truck, there is such joy in giving that I think we sacrifice because we're too busy with things that really don't matter. We need to stay focused. We need to get refocused. And we need to keep our eye on the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to quote from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter is one of my favorite books. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You, every believer listening to this, you are a royal priesthood, here to declare the riches of God's glory. I want you to think about the priesthood they ministered to the nation of Israel, to their same kind. We need to show this same thing Scripture talks about, that we need to uh, first, at the household of faith, uh, exercise and use our gifts, but not just uh, so secluded and exclusive. But we need to broaden that out. How is the world going to know, except by our good deeds, that there is a Savior and He's risen and He's coming again? How is the world going to know that, 
that you've been redeemed if you live in an unredeemed way, selfish, angry, uh, addictions, whatever it is. All that gets in the way of, of true fellowship. Somebody once said that the bar down the street's probably the best false imitation of fellowship that there is. They dispense alcohol instead of grace, and, and they went through this whole litany of false comparisons. But only we can offer true love, because the author of love redeemed us, opened our eyes. As I draw to a close with my sermon, I want you to think about how you might have been feeling God calling you to get deeper in your involvement, how you might be able to serve one another. Um, the uh, home fellowship idea, very important in these days, calling on, uh, on somebody who's maybe sick, laid up, whatever it is. Um, we need to have this practical unity, both by service and by fellowship. That's, that's sharing our love that idea of commonality. How have you expressed your commonality this week? In the past uh, two weeks, two months, two years, have you grown in your demonstration of your love one for another? Do it. It's going to draw from one source, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, through His Word. Study. Study. Study your word. Why? Because fellowship is based on truth. True fellowship, true koinonia is based on truth. Nothing insincere, nothing phony. Let God speak to you that you might experience verse 4. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Not too many people looking to become more... Uh, down or depressed or maudlin. Everybody's looking to get happy. But happy is based on some very surface things, very temporary things. Seek out the things of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's where our joy is going to be and that's where the joy is going to spill into the lives of others. And maybe someday you'll be able to say to some of the younger people around, and these things I've told you so that my joy may be made complete in you coming to faith. Let verse 4 really resonate. But remember, it's all about fellowship. First our fellowship with God, then our fellowship with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for reaching down when we didn't even want fellowship, didn't even know about it. You chose, you chose to send your son to make a way. Help us, Father, to just uh, demonstrate that we are blood-bought. Help us to demonstrate our concern by our fellowship with each other. That the world, as your word says, would see our good deeds and glorify our God which is in heaven. Lord, uh, 
I pray that you would watch over those who are affected by this virus. Lord, I pray your protection, strength, guide us, Father. Help us to love well. In Jesus' name, amen.